All right, so last week, a little bit heavy, a little bit intense. Anybody feel that? I felt it just a little bit. Um, I just want to assure you that this morning is not going to be anywhere near that bad. (laughs) So everybody just take a deep breath with me and out. See, doesn't that feel better? We're going to have fun. It's going to be just fine. Now, will there be challenging things? Of course there are. There always are because we're looking at God's word. But you know what? It's going to be fine. We're going to get through this together. So one more deep breath for me. And out. See, we're going to be good. We're going to be good. All right. So last week we started talking about marriage. And like I just prayed, when we're talking about marriage, we're not just talking about the nuts and bolts of marriage, not just the how-tos, how do we make all this work? Because what we're really talking about and what we really care about when we talk about marriage is love. And every single one of us cares about that. We all care about love. We want to know that love is possible. Not just the feeling of love, not just that momentary infatuation that we experience once upon a time. We want to know that that actually can grow and turn into something else. We want to know that enduring, growing, passionate, committed, unconditional love is real. And all of us care about that. Whether we have been married for 50 years, whether we've been married for five years or five days, whether we've never been married or we used to be married, we all care about that. Because it's in that love, I believe that this is the the greatest reflection that we're going to get of the kind of love that God has for us. And so God has built that into us. He has imprinted that upon our hearts, upon our souls, to desire that kind of love with another person. Because we want to experience, as close as we can, the kind of love that God has for us. And that's how God has designed our marriages. And so each one of us, we care about that. It means something to us. It's important to us. Now, what we said last week is that the key ingredient for experiencing that kind of love, for experiencing that kind of marriage, is, and this is going to sound kind of archaic, right? When we talked about it last week, maybe some of you are like, you've got to be kidding me. It sounds so old-fashioned. It sounds so ridiculous. Like, nobody talks like this anymore. But the key ingredient is, are you ready for this? Mutual submission. And some of you who weren't here last week, you're going, Really? That's what you talked about. Yeah, mutual submission. Mutual submission is absolutely at the heart and center of everything that God wants to do in your marriage. Everything that marriage entails revolves around, centers on, hinges on, hangs on this idea of mutual submission. Now, when we talk about submission, we're not talking about wrestling. We're not talking about jujitsu. This isn't you putting your spouse in a headlock until they tap out, right? Okay, I give. No, that's not what we're talking about, right? This is personal submission. This is me choosing, in fact, to submit to my spouse. And because it's mutual, she then turns and does the same for me. Okay, so submission then isn't me forcing this upon my spouse. This is actually the opposite of that. This is me choosing to say, okay, you know what? She is more important than me. I'm going to put her first. I'm going to say, okay, you know what? My interests, my... my um, passions, my well-being, my welfare, all this, I'm actually going to submit those to her for her sake. What's going to be better for her? And she, at the same time, does that for me, okay? So when we talk about submission, that's what we're talking about. This idea of I submit to you and you submit to me. And when you take that and you apply it to a marriage relationship, what you end up with is a kind of dance where the husband says, hey, honey, you know what? It's not what I want. It's, it's what you want. Okay, and so there's, you take this step. She says, no, 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 it's not what I want, it's what you want. She takes a step. No, you first. No, 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 it's you first. No, you first. No, you first. And around and around you go in this dance of mutual love and honor and respect, putting the other person first. Sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? 
And I asked the question last week, and I'll ask it again because this is something we got to think about. Is can you imagine just for a moment how different your marriage would be if, if you experienced this kind of relationship? What a difference that would make. If you woke up in the morning, instead of thinking about, oh my gosh, I've got this horrible day you know, laid out in front of me, and I've got to deal with this, and I've got to deal with this, and I've got to deal with this, and woe is me. You actually woke up thinking, you know what, I do have all this stuff, but man, I know my spouse has a lot on her plate too. How am I going to help her this morning? How am I going to make her day a little bit better? I mean, how crazy would that be? I mean, is that just out of the realm of possibility? I don't think so. I mean, can you imagine this? Okay, ladies, if you were in that kind of a relationship, if that's what your marriage looked like, would you feel more or less appreciated? Would you feel more or less secure, more or less loved? Guys, if you were in that kind of relationship where, man, you know that as you're putting your wife first, she's putting you first and she's honoring and respecting you, man, would you feel more or less respected and honored and loved? Yeah, see, I got to believe that there would be a lot more happy couples in this world if people took this concept of mutual submission and actually began to live it out just a little bit. It's a beautiful thing as we begin to try to outserve, outlove, outrespect the other person. You first. No, you first. No, you first. That's a beautiful thing. Now, where we got a little bit uncomfortable last week. Where it got a little bit tense, right? Is when we said, you know what? It's not enough just to talk about this in general. This general concepts of, hey, you know what? Let's just submit to one another. And that sounds all real nice and great. What we said was that actually someone has to lead the dance. And so we read from the Apostle Paul. And he says some crazy things. If this was on, he would. There it is. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. And then later it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here, right, he's not saying in any way that women are inferior, less than, less spiritual, less intelligent in any way than men. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying, though, is that men and women are different. Now, is one better than the other? No. Absolute equality. But they have different roles. And he says within that dance, there are different steps. And he says, so for the husband, his dance step, right, what this looks like for him is for him to lovingly lead his wife. That's his dance step. And the dance step for the wife is to graciously follow her husband. And so he lovingly leads her in such a way that it becomes easy for her to honor and respect and follow his lead. And she does it in such a way that it's easy for him to lovingly lead her. Do you see the pattern? So he lovingly leads her. How? In such a way that it's easy for her to follow his lead. In such a way that it's easy for her, him to lead her. In such a way that it's easy for her to follow. And that is the dance. Now, what does that look like in everyday life? What does that look like? And this is where it gets tricky, okay? Because here's where you actually have to go home. And you've got to struggle with this. You've got to wrestle with this. But here's the principles, right? I, you've got the boundaries, Okay. You can't say, it's not the husband's job to say, well, now I'm going to lead and I'm going to say, you're going to get in line and this is how this is going to play out. No, we already said that's off the table. You have to lovingly lead your wife. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So you've got to take that criteria. So whatever it looks like in your marriage to lovingly lead your spouse, that's got to apply. Right? Everybody with me? 
Okay? And so for ladies, does that mean you're supposed to roll over and you're say, oh, whatever my husband wants and that's how it is? No, that's off the table. You've got to be strong. You've got to follow him the way Christ follows the Father. We talked about this last week, okay? This is a strong submission. Your husband needs you to be a rock. And you've got to be strong if you're going to follow him, right? So what I can't do is tell you what exactly this looks like in your marriages. What I can say is that there are clear parameters. That's off the table. Guys, you don't get to be a dictator. And ladies, you don't get to be a, a marshmallow, right? You've got to be strong, all right? Those are off the table. Now, how do you work that out? That's where you've got to go home and you've got to struggle. You've got to figure it out, okay? Fair enough? If you do have questions, please come talk to me. Now, some of you weren't here last week. You may be hearing all this for the first time. And you're going, are you crazy? I am offended. I'm, I completely object to this. This makes no sense. Please go listen to last week's sermon. And then please come talk to me. Email me, call me, come see me at the office, whatever. I'd love to wrestle through this with you, okay? Again, not wrestling with you. I want to wrestle together with you, okay? So I'm not a big person, all right? Don't come wrestle me. I'll lose, all right? So can you, can you do that for me? Don't just get angry. Come see me. Let's come talk about it and wrestle with it together. This stuff is too important. Okay, that was all last week, but we're building on this, all right? That's why it's so important we go through it. That was last week. This week, this week, what I want to talk about is what I think is absolutely the greatest threat to your marriage today. The quickest way and surest way to derail your dance, to go off course, all right? And it's not pornography, it's not addiction, it's not um, financial stresses, it's not cheating on somebody. No, all that stuff is actually symptomatic of what I think is actually the biggest threat, the thought, really, the belief that lodges in our brain somewhere in the back of our minds. And here's what it is, okay? You ready for this? The biggest threat to our marriages is this thought. The success of my marriage depends on my spouse. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Let me, let me say that again, okay? So the success or the happiness of my marriage depends on my dance partner. The key to my happiness, the key to us having a successful and long-lasting marriage is that I find the right person who fits me perfectly, who meets all my needs, who is everything that I need them to be. That is the key to this, my marriage. That's the key to having the kind of marriage that I want to have. That thought is so dangerous, and I'll tell you why very quickly. It's because it takes the responsibility of your marriage and you place it on one person. You say, everything that our marriage is supposed to be, everything we dream it could be, everything that we hope it could be, everything, all the love that we hope that we're going to have, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to place it on you. Now, carry that around. Now, you may be thinking, I would never do that. I never do that. Yeah, we do. We do it all the time. And we do it under the guise of compatibility. So, what do I mean? When Carrie and I first got married... Um, or excuse me, before we first got married, this is very, that's an important point. Before we first got married, we went to premarital counseling. All right. So if any of you guys have been through premarital counseling, we went and we met with this couple and, and they talk about marriage and it's all very, you know, academic. You're reading a bunch of stuff on pages, but one of the things that they did, uh, very well intentioned was they gave us these tests. And I remember cause they were supposed to kind of gauge our compatibility, right? How well do we really fit together? How well do we know each other? Right now, Carrie and I are both fairly, intense people. And uh, so we took these things really seriously and we nailed them, right? I mean, just bam. I mean, they got them back and they're like, we've never even seen scores like this. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Greatest marriage ever on its way. 
right? We're going to be rock stars. We're going to be on the cover of Marriage Magazine. That's us. We are never going to fight. We're never going to have a problem. We're just going to figure it all out because we just, we're just like this. We fit so well together. And then this crazy thing happened not long after that. We actually got married. And, um, and Paul kind of alluded to this earlier. Because Key and I have, really have joked about this. For the long time, it worked really well. And it's not because we fit so perfectly together in all of our holiness and perfection. No, we actually fit really well together because we were both so dang selfish. And, but we were selfish in the same ways. And it worked really well. But eventually, all right, eventually, as all of you are married know, you hit that first real issue. You hit that first real argument. You hit that first real tension that just kind of grinds into your life. And suddenly, all those questions of compatibility come up. All that illusion of compatibility fades away. Because look, if we really fit together, if we were really on the same page, we wouldn't have these problems. See, if you really fit me, if you really met my needs, if you were really the person that you're supposed to be, then man, we wouldn't be having these problems right now. Something's wrong here. I thought we were compatible, but maybe not so much. See, and here's the problem. The problem is that compatibility is fiction. Perfect compatibility, it doesn't exist. It's a myth. And yet, if you talk to people, so many people, when they're starting to get married, you're asking, okay, what's the key ingredient for your marriage? It's like, oh man, I think we're so compatible. We fit so well together. Let me tell you something. There is no perfectly compatible couple. There was one. All right? One. You get it all the way back to Genesis. Remember them? Adam and Eve. Right? So God actually takes Eve and he forms her out of Adam and, and they were formed perfectly and fit perfectly together and they were perfectly compatible and then that lasted all of one chapter and then sin comes into play. Thus endeth compatibility. It's gone. So no matter how compatible you think you are, no matter how perfectly you think you fit together, you are always bringing in, dragging in your past, your sin, your junk. There's no compatibility. Mm-mm. It's fiction. It's made up. It's not real. Two broken people, two messed up, messy people, don't make a whole healthy marriage. You take two broken, sinful, messy people, they don't make a whole healthy marriage. They just make a mess. And so you take one messy person and another messy person, and you put them together, and they have a messy marriage, and eventually over time they start playing the if-only game. Right? You guys know the if-only game? If only she was different. If only she, if only she listened better to me. If only he had a better job and made more money. If only she would lose some weight. If only he would help around the house a little bit more and help with the kids. If only she was better at keeping the house and to, didn't demand so much for me. If only, if only, if only, then, 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 then I would have the perfect, happy marriage. See, it's them. If only... If only they were different, then everything would be great for us. Everything would be perfect. Now, some of you are going, okay, are you saying it doesn't matter who we marry? I hit this real quickly. You just pick somebody off the street, doesn't matter, compatibility is out the window anyway, just find somebody you to get married. No, that's not what I'm saying, all right? What I am saying is that there are different stages. So in, in one sense, I think compatibility, like looking for those things that the world understands and your interests, your shared likes and dislikes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, when you're first looking for somebody to get married, you should consider some of those. It's kind of important, all right? Because if you're going to be doing this dance with them, you need somebody that you're going to dance well with, all right? So when you're looking for someone, this is speaking to you singles out there, 
Let me just explain this real quickly. If you're looking for somebody, well, you need to be thinking about less than, oh, we have all this in common and all this kind of stuff. You need to be thinking, guys, who can I lovingly lead well? Who is it easy for me to lovingly lead? Who could I see that really happening with? Because at some point, you're not going to want to lovingly lead them. And ladies, you need to be finding somebody that you can honor and respect. See, this is a character issue because eventually there's going to come a point where you're not going to want to honor and respect them or follow their lead. So you're finding somebody that, yeah, there is that kind of character compatibility, that, that idea of how are we approaching life. Those things matter. But as the world sees it, that idea of compatibility, we laugh at all the same jokes and we have the same politics and we have all this kind of stuff. That stuff, listen to me, the success of your marriage Right? As you go on, those of you who are married, you see this. As you go on and get a few years into it, the success, the happiness of your marriage has next to nothing to do with that idea of compatibility. And it has almost everything to do with how well the two of you do the dance. How well you put each other first. Regardless of your differences. Regardless of how incompatible you are. Follow me? Compatibility, it's a myth. It's a myth. It's overrated. Especially the way the world sees it. What you got to find is somebody you can do that dance with. And then what matters over time is how well you do the dance. Regardless of how different you are. Now, part of the problem is that the world has given us a standard for men and women of what's desirable, what's attractive, the kind of person that we should desire to be with, the kind of person that we need to have if we're going to have happy marriages. And so often we buy into this idea, right? Every one of us in the back of our mind, somewhere along the line, we've bitten off just a little bit of this. And we're thinking, yeah, if I'm going to have a happy marriage, if I'm going to have the kind of marriage that really satisfies me, then I've got to have a spouse who lives up to that kind of criteria, Right? They've got to live up to that, right? And so, guys, we're being told all the time, all the time, and everywhere that we look, we're being told that if we're going to be happy, if we're going to be, have the kind of marriage that we want to have, we're going to have the kind of love life that we want to have, we want to have, be the kind of guy that the world admires and respects, then our spouse, the person we're with, has to look a certain way, act a certain way, dress a certain way, and treat us a certain way. And we buy it. We buy it. In fact, we bought it so much that we actually believe that there's a type for us right? There's that type. It's out of my hands. That's just my type. What's your type? My type's a supermodel, okay? Can't do anything about it. That's just my type. It's how God made me. Hands are tied, right? It's not my fault. I didn't make me like this. This is just God. He just said, this is your type. Boom. All right? All right, see, this is what we do. We play these games. Okay, this is my type. And if I don't find that type, then who perfectly fits me, is compatible with me, and fits my needs, then I have no chance of a happy marriage. It's never going to happen, right? And so once I'm married then, I look at my spouse and, oh, wait, you're not quite that type anymore. Now I've got to fix you. I've got to change you so that you can once again meet the needs that I've got so that we can have the kind of marriage that we're supposed to have. You've got to be my type. Okay, so here's the truth, though. Here's the truth. Compatibility, myth. Type, also myth. Total bogus. Totally not true. Guys, you want to know who your type is? Husbands, you want to know who your type is? If you're here with your wife... She's sitting next to you. That's your type. Period. That's it. Ladies, same thing. You're here with your husbands. Guess what? There's your type. That's your type. I know. I see some of you looking at each other going, really? 
Are you kidding? Are you seeing her? Some, yeah, I know. <laughs> See, this is what happens, right? We get, we get so lost in this that it's like, look, this is the type. You ever notice that, that this idea of type is, is it's, it's always kind of in a certain spectrum, right? You ever notice that? Like nobody ever says, well, my type is short, fat, and ugly. Everybody says, no, no, my type is kind of within this range. See, we're all just giving our interpretations of the world standard, and it's not real. That type is not real. The type for you that God has chosen for you is the person that you're with. If you're single, you don't know what your type is. You haven't married them yet. Okay? All right? See, it's not real. Look, if there was a standard of eternal timeless beauty that actually existed, if there's one place that you'd want to find it, you know where I'd run to? Song of Songs. That's where I'd go. You know why? Because think about Song of Songs. You guys know that book, right? Song, King Solomon... Okay, this guy had 700 wives, 300 concubines. This guy is a connoisseur of women. If anybody could say this is the standard for all eternal beauty, okay, this guy should be able to do it, all right? This guy, no, this is not some Joe Blow who's like, yeah, you know what, I saw this pinup one time. No, this guy had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He biblically knew over 1,000 women. This guy knows what he's talking about. Here's how he describes the perfect beauty. Are you ready for this? How beautiful. Guys, we should take notes on this because this is good stuff on a side note. Right? You should write this for your wives. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veils are like doves. Isn't that great? Your hair is like a flock of goats. Okay, I don't really get some of this, all right? Descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just short. You should write your own when you're writing to your spouse, okay? <laughs> don't copy this. She might know you didn't write it. Okay. Coming up from the washing, each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet rib and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. God, nothing says love like that, does it? Your neck is like the Tower of David built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Man, that sounds beautiful, doesn't it? I mean, I'm kind of using my imagination. Now, she could look something like, oh, I forgot to change that. I'm sorry. You didn't even get to read the second half. You heard me, though. Now, she could look like that. Possible. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems possible. That's a beautiful woman. That's how he's just described her. Could also look something like that. <laughs> Not quite the same. But very literal. I love, I love Winnie the Pooh, like has honey or something, like the jar. And of course, whenever I see this, it always makes me think of, yeah. Um, I don't think that's who Solomon had in mind, but I'm just saying it's very difficult to know, right? See, what Solomon's not saying is this is the standard of beauty. He says, you're beautiful to me. It's about the eye of the beholder. You're distracted. It's about the eye of the beholder. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm going to have to wash my eyes out. Um, right? It's, he's saying, look, this isn't the standard for all beauty. You, wife, you, love, you are beautiful to me. It's the eye of the beholder. You guys see that? That's your type. It's whoever you're married to. My dream girl, my type. I'll tell you right now. She's 5'1", brown hair, green eyes, and a smile that kills me. And she's sitting over there somewhere. I don't see her. I think some guy just waved at me. Um, it wasn't you, sir. I promise. Um, right? My wife carries over there. She is my dream girl. She is my standard for female beauty. She's my standard. Everybody else compares to her and falls short. Everybody. 
Okay? She is my standard. Guys, you are sitting with your wives right now. She is your standard for female perfection. All right? Ladies, think about this for a second. All right? Take it. Hold on a second. Where are we headed with this? Your husband, the guy you're sitting next to, assuming that's your husband, he is your standard for masculine perfection. And you're going, huh? I didn't say the universal standard, all right? I said yours. Just to be clear. Some of you guys are like, that's right. (laughs) No. Just your wife's. Just your wife's. Nice try, right? See, this is how God intends it. He hasn't given you a type in this abstract sort of sense. He's given you this person this person to love, this person to adore, this person to be infatuated and madly in love with. Some of you go, wait a minute, hold on. I see one little problem with that. My wife is not exactly the same person that I married. And my husband, man, he used to be a little bit skinnier, but now he's a little bit bigger. Let me throw one idea out to you. Um, Ladies, I get that. Your husband used to be skinny when you got married and then you packed on a few pounds. Guess what? Your type has changed. Okay? He's still your type. Guys, I know you were legs men once upon a time, right? Your wife, man, legs up to here, right? That's where you're going for. Guess what? After a few years, maybe a few kids, those legs have changed. You're still a legs man. It's just different. You follow me? Okay. They are your type. They are your standard. Some of you are looking at me like, I can't believe he's talking about this. I know. I know. You, you don't have to live with me, so that's good. All right. Here, here's the deal. Um, This is my point. If we try to change our spouses and say, look, you've got to live up to this kind of a standard. If, if you're going to make me happy and meet my needs and be everything that I want you to be, then you've got to meet this standard. You've got to live up to this expectation, then that is a bad way to love our spouse. Because we're not really loving them. We're loving us. It's not really about them. It's about me. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer Give you another picture just to get Alice Cooper out of your head. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote this book, Life Together, and he says that there's a couple of different ways of loving people. And he says one way, what, he, what I'm going to call self-love, he calls it a little bit differently, but uh, I think it's a little bit more descriptive. Self-love is this idea that you love someone for what they do for you. And so it's impossible for me, just think about this, it's impossible for me to love my spouse exactly as they are. With all their imperfections and all their warts and all their shortcomings, I can't love them. In all of that, all I can do is love part of them. And then I have to try to change them and fix them into something that I can love. Something that's going to give me what I need. Did you follow that? If I'm loving my spouse for what they bring to me, then I cannot love the parts that don't contribute to me. And so my only recourse is to try to change them, try to fix them, try to manipulate them, and make them into something that I can love. But Bonhoeffer says there's this other kind, and it's divine love. And you can tell from the name, it's a little bit different. Because divine love says you love someone for who they are, period. Just as they are, just like God loves us. That sounds familiar, that's why it's divine love. God loves us exactly the way that we are. In all of our imperfection, all of our warts, all of our faults, all of our sin even, he loves us just the way that we are. And with divine love, 
I can love my spouse exactly the way that they are. Not for who I need them to be for me, but for who they are right now. And I can love them for who God is making them into. Not who I'm changing them into. Not who I have aspirations for them to be, but who God wants them to be. All right? So here's the deal. That's actually what marriage is all about. That's what marriage is all about. Look at this verse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Look, Jesus' desire for the church is what? Is to change the church for the better. To make her holy and blameless and spotless and beautiful. He's, his whole movement of love is to trans, transform the church, to make her something amazing. And this is God's purpose for your marriage, is to change you into who he wants you to be and to change your spouse into who he's created them to be. All right, so anybody notice after you got married that your spouse wasn't as great and perfect and wonderful as you thought they were? Did that happen to anybody? Yeah, don't raise your hand. Smart, smart. Don't raise your hand. But I know it happened, okay? We all know that that happened. But did you also notice, did you also notice after you got married that you weren't as great and wonderful and fantastic as you thought you were or you pretended to be? Did that happen to anybody else? Yeah, unless you were clueless, it did. Right? You get into marriage after a few months and you go, man, I'm not as patient or as kind or as compassionate or gracious or forgiving as I thought I was, or at least I like to pretend that I was. Right? See, that's not an accident. That's not an accident. God intended it to happen this way. He intends for marriage to be one way that he exposes sin in our lives. He's going to show us all of our warts, all of our problems, all of our selfishness, all of our greed, all of that stuff. He's going to show us in our marriage because no one brings out the best and the worst in us like our spouse. And no one sees us better or more clearly than the person we're married to. Right? And we can try to fool everybody else. We can even try to fool ourselves. But they know. They know. But see, this is the magic of the dance. When you love that imperfect person just as they are, and you are loved by that person in all of your imperfection, that is where God does some of his most amazing work in your life. When you love that person just as they are in their imperfection, in their faults, and they turn around and do the same for you, God uses that to change you in remarkable ways. Listen, when I screw up, right, which happens a lot, okay, when Carrie says, I forgive you and I love you anyway, that is a picture of God's grace to me. And that does something. It changes me. I'm getting a picture of God loving me despite me. And it changes me. And this happens a lot less frequently. And I'm not just saying that because she's in the room. I'm a pastor. I have to be honest. Um, when she screws up and I have those rare moments that I get to say, honey, I forgive you and I love you anyway, man, I get to be Jesus to her. Just in that moment, I get to reflect him. I get to look like him. And you know what? That changes me too. 
See, God uses that dance. I love you. You love me. Where is? Never mind. You're awake. He uses that dance as we put each other first. Hey, man, you know what? You're imperfect. You're flawed. That's okay. You go first. You're, you're, I want what you need. It's about you, what you need for your sake. And they say, no, no, it's about you. And I know you're flawed and you're perfect. I'm not going to wait for you to become perfect for me to love you. But we lead, right? No, I'm going to love you. No, I'm going to love you. No, I'm going to love you. God uses that because that is a picture of how he loves us. It's a powerful thing. Powerful thing. Last thing here. If we're going to have the kind of love that we want to have, that kind of love that, that lasts for a lifetime, that kind of love that is powerful and enduring and committed and unconditional, if we're going to have the kind of marriages that we want to have, if we want to do that dance, then we cannot take the responsibility of our marriage and place it on our dance partner. We can't say, you've got to live up to these expectations or our marriage fails. We can't say, it all depends on you. And if only you were like this, then we can do this. If only you were different. We can't say that. We can't say, you've got to be perfectly fit for me and perfectly meet all of my needs. We can't do that. Those are unfair expectations and no one can live up to those. And so if you take your marriage and you believe that lie that the success or happiness of your marriage depends on that other person, you will either crush them with those expectations and you will make them a shell of a person or they will disappoint you and you'll go start looking other places. And see, that's where the pornography and the addiction and the cheating and all that other stuff comes into play. It's because we've looked to our spouse and said, you've got to be everything to me. And they say, I can't do it. You go, then I'm going to find somebody who will. And we go looking elsewhere. We cannot take those expectations of our marriage and place them on our spouse. No one can live up to that. It's impossible. But Jesus can. He can. He can live up to those expectations. What did we just read? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the God of the universe who gave what? Himself. Everything for us. He's met every need that we could possibly have. He's everything that we could possibly need. I don't need to depend on Carrie for all that. She can't possibly live up to that. And she can't depend on me for that. I can't possibly live up to that. But you know what? Together we can dance and we can look to Christ. Because he absolutely meets every single one of our needs. Look, if you need to feel important, you need to feel validated, you need to feel like you're somebody, look at how Christ loves you. This is the God of the universe who said you mattered enough, you were important enough that he was going to die for you. You want to know what real joy and happiness is? Man, he laid down his life for you. You're so significant to him that he said, I'm going to go to the cross See, when we take those expectations and we move them off of our spouse over to Christ, he meets every single one of them. And we spend time going, okay, how does Jesus love me? Look at all the different things that he's done for me. Look at all that he's given up. Now, now I'm satisfied. I'm happy. Now I don't need my spouse to live up to all that. And now, catch this, I can begin to love them in the same way. See, Christ loved us with such abandon, such recklessness, such sacrifice. Such passion that it literally changes who we are. It literally changes our hearts. And when we experience that, then we can turn to our spouse and say, I'm going to love you with that same kind of abandon and recklessness and sacrifice. I'm going to put you first. 
And God and husband say, I'm going to lovingly lead you in the way that you need to be led. And wife say, I'm going to lovingly follow you in the way that I'm supposed to follow you, right? And the dance begins and the dance goes on. And if we take that kind of love that Christ has for us and we feast on it, we revel in it, we go, man, look how Christ loves me. And then we are able to turn and dance with our partner with that kind of passion, that kind of love. Then I'm warning you right now, you are going to spend the rest of your life dancing with the man or woman of your dreams. It's going to happen. If you're married, right? That's what happens. But it starts with not depending on your spouse for the success and happiness of your marriage. Not to validate you, not to make you feel important, not meeting all of your needs. Only Christ can do that. And then turning to your spouse and saying, I want to love you the way Christ loves you and the way he loved me. All right. Homework. Uh, as you're leaving this morning, there are um, uh, the, the greeters going to be out there and they've got some little cards for you. And uh, this is, guys especially, this is your chance. All right. We showed you, I showed you what uh, is in the Song of Songs. This is your chance. It's a, these are my favorite things about you list. It's got five spots. You can go above and beyond that. You can just do two or three, whatever. Just make sure they're good, right? And I want you to write that to your spouse. Here's my favorite things about you. And then I want you to share it with them sometime this week. And as you do that, I want you to think. Don't think about like, if only she was this, if only he was this, if only she was this, if only he was this, if only they lived up this, to this expectation. Man, scratch all that. And in that moment, you write those things and you go, man, this is what I love about you now. You are my standard of female perfection, of male perfection. And if you're not married, you can take that list and you can write down the five things that you think you need to find in a spouse who's going to be compatible for you, but just hold it loosely because you don't know. You don't know what your type is. Not until you're married. All right? Let me pray for us and we'll get out of here. Father, just thank you for this time. God, I thank you that you are doing remarkable things in our lives. And God, we're all on a spectrum. We're all on a journey. We're all looking for different things. But God, you've given uh, some of us this incredible blessing of getting to journey with somebody else. And I pray that we would take that seriously. I pray this wouldn't be something that we take for granted. I pray it would be something that we work at. Because the dance is work. It's not something that we just naturally do all the time. There's easy times, there's hard times, but it's something we got to do all the time. We don't fall into the dance like we fall into love. We actively put the other person first again and again and again and again. And we do that because you loved us. And so, Father, if there's anybody here this morning right now who's just thinking, man, I know I've, I've, I'm expecting the wrong things from my spouse. I'm not asking them what you're asking of them. I'm asking things that the world expects or things that I've made up in my mind, and I'm depending on them to make me happy, to make our marriage work instead of owning it and saying, we've got to do this dance together. I pray that this would be a time for them just to reflect on that a little bit. I pray that you would show us what it looks like to love with that divine love, loving each other right where we're at, warts and all, knowing that you are doing a good work in us. Father, if anybody needs to come talk afterwards, I pray that they just feel that freedom to come talk to me, come talk to Paul, one of our elders. Um, it's, it's important stuff. And uh, God, we need your help. We can't do this on our own. We need your son. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.